Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So today I'm excited. Our pre-quest is back. Kids Quest will be back in two weeks downstairs. Um, we'll probably be talking to a few parents, maybe even to move some some kiddos down that we think are ready to go down, uh, just to make that more exciting for them. Tara's like, we are? We're talking to more kids? I didn't know that. Tara just found out that we're going to be doing that. So yeah, that's going to be good. But we're excited just about everything from um, celebrating. I know my kids today. I think Candy dressed up half my family in the same outfits. Um, she says it was safe for Mother's Day, but uh, we didn't get to celebrate that. So here we are. But last week we started a new series and I want us to dive back into it together uh, titled Neighboring. And we began uh, by looking at some of the differences in neighborhoods that you and I grew up in, uh, what neighboring looks like today in 2020, uh, in the middle of COVID uh, outbreaks and, and whatever it may be, right? What does neighboring look like today in this culture? reaching those that live literally next door to us. And so Romans 12 is where we had started and spent some time uh, giving us a jump start on the framework for not only uh, the things that I believe will allow our love to be sincere, like we talked about without hypocrisy, uh, but also how we express that familiar, that family type of love, that Philadelphia love that we looked at in the scripture last week. And also the call for us to love strangers, to love not only those that are among us, but those that are yet to be a part of us. And we looked at the foundation for good neighboring really comes from the greatest commandment where Jesus summed it up. And we looked at loving God and loving our neighbor. And so we talked a little bit, how many of y'all, you were here and I gave you a boring exercise and it was to make you feel terrible about how many neighbors you don't know. No, not at all. That's not what it was intended to do, but it was to challenge us to say, okay, who do I know around me? Um, how has, you know, God really strategically placed me here and that God, if he doesn't get the address wrong, then he has in the divine families that I am placed around to meet and to love well, to be a good neighbor aren't by accident. And so we talked about how we had that house in the middle is ours and draw the, the houses around you, depending on how yours is laid out and, and begin to just catalog who lives in each one of these homes. That was the first step. And so I want you to watch, in case you didn't do this yet, I wanna really, really encourage you to do this because we're going somewhere with this. And I believe that as a church, this isn't just a series that we teach. This isn't just a message that we have. This is something that I believe if it becomes a, a core value of ours, of how we live our lives, then it has the potential to change communities, to change families as we shine the light of Christ. And so if you'll play that first video that, that talks about this, this practice that I was talking about, mapping your neighborhood. These are your neighbor's houses. How many of these neighbors do you know by name? Go ahead, try to name them. If you're like most people these days, you probably only know a few of your neighbors by name. We have garages for our cars, privacy fences for our backyards, and we seem to be perpetually busy. You're doing pretty well if you wave or say hi as you're passing by. But what if we did more? What if we made it a point to learn the names of the people who live on our block? 
What if we took the time to listen to our neighbors and find out what makes them tick? What if our neighborhoods relied on each other in times of need, whether it be for a cup of flour or a shoulder to cry on? What if Jesus really meant that we should love our actual neighbors? Imagine the difference you could make in your neighborhood if you got to know your neighbors better. Imagine the difference you could make in your community if you partnered with others who had a desire to become better neighbors. Imagine the difference it could make in our cities if local churches were working together to make this a reality. You don't have to imagine very hard. It's happening. Check out The Art of Neighboring to discover how you can join others around the world to build genuine relationships All right, you can cut that off. right outside your door. So the idea was that literally, what if we start right where we live? What if we start in our neighborhood? It's funny because Christian and I had been talking about some of his neighbors that we had seen walking back and forth as we were like exchanging videos for church and Kiko and, and everything. And we we're talking about, man, do you know that guy? He's like, no, but I see him walk by all the time. I was like, man, he's, he's like, I really think I need to start talking to him or maybe I need to start going for walks. Um, and those are some of the things our, our family started talking about more the last couple of weeks. And it's really interesting how this whole the book was written, um, how the movement, so to speak, started. How is it a new movement, right? Because it's, it was Jesus's greatest commandment that he gave to us. But there was a, um, the mayor of Denver at the time was having a meeting collectively with pastors from all across the city. And this is the backstory to how this even began. And they said, what is one thing as individual churches that we could do collectively to make some of the greatest strides and impact, positive impact in our city? And the mayor said, well, we just need, we just need good neighbors. We need good neighboring in every community, in this zip code, in that neighborhood, and in this community. He said, we just need good neighbors. And the pastors looked at each other and he said, He's just asking us to live out the greatest commandment. That's all, that's all our mayor is asking us to do. And they found it almost to be a slap in the face, but an encouragement of we've got to get on track with what the Lord has called us to do. And I think so many times, um, my dad always said this, that we, on the way to the airport, to go on a mission trip across the seas, we pass a lot of mission fields on the way. And we do, we pass a lot of mission fields right here in our own backyard with people that are hurting, with uh, people that are without hope, they don't have direction. And, and I want us to take a new intentional look at how we live our lives and share them. And a lot of times we, we should be focused on the Great Commission, but never at the expense of the Great Commandment. And I wanna talk a little bit about the difference of those two. You know, we should go and be making disciples of all people, every nation, tribe, and tongue. But the great commandment should be what propels us, what motivates us. It's, it's the whole chicken and the egg analogy for me. It's the cart and the horse. One must come before the other. We must love the Lord our God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves as we then go and make disciples of the nations. And so the great commandment for me, the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor, it's about serving neighbors through loving works. It's about serving neighbors through loving works. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew, Branson, if you'll throw up Matthew 5, 16 and 17, Jesus says this, he says, in the same way in his Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others. 
And I know there's other scriptures later on in the same in this same sermon on the mount where Jesus is like, but don't let your right hand see what your left hand is doing. But he is saying, live your life in such a way that they may see your good deeds, not that they may glorify you, but glorify who? Your father in heaven. A life that points that way. That says, no, don't look here. If you knew, if you just knew, you would see that this is but the grace of God. And we live such a life that makes them, as I had mentioned, that I believe as Paul writes Romans and he's writing to uh, a primarily Gentile population, but is leveling the playing field between the promises of God, between Jew and Gentile. Like for us, those that are not a part of his promises now to those that are, and hopefully you are. And if you're not, today is a day to choose to be a part of that family and inherit the promises that he has made to us as his children. And Jesus says here that in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And he goes on, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He says, I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Basically, he's saying it's all summed up in this. Remember, love God, love your neighbor. This isn't an abolishment of all the law and the prophets. No, this is the sum of them. Let your light shine. Let the love of God that is shed abroad in your heart shed abroad now in the world where you work, where you live, where you play, where you worship. Let it be so tangible that people are like, I I think I just tasted God in their life. I think I just got something on me that I didn't, I'm not even sure I have words for it. There's this, Jesus drives this metaphor home with his disciples about their good works, that all righteousness and everything that they are and do would reflect the mind and will of God. A commentary I was reading goes on and says this, and men must see the light. And some, it may provoke persecution, as Jesus just talked about in this chapter, In others, there is no reason for hiding the light that they may see it because the goal is that they may glorify our Father. This was the disciples' only motive, that the Father in heaven, that he would receive the glory due his name, that today we would make on Father's Day one Father famous, and that's our Father in heaven, whom every other father on earth is named after, the scripture tells us. And that's why we let our light shine. Second Corinthians 4, 6, Brenton, it goes like this. It says, for God, as Paul kind of reiterates what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let that sink in. The light that is currently shining in the dark world that we live in is the light that God has given us in the knowledge of who he is, of his glory displayed, which we saw in the face of Christ. This is the light that we are shining today. And Peter, he reiterates something very, very similar. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans, among those that are lost, among those that are not yet a part of this family that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
that no one would be able to say, yeah, but do you, do you know they did this last night? Do you know, but know that they would be able to say, well, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with everything they're talking about. I don't agree with their, uh, their beliefs and, and worldview, but I can't help but see something greater than themselves as they live their lives with a purpose and with hope prepared to give an answer, right? That their life alone is pointing through what we do and say to something far greater than ourselves, far greater than an agenda of this world. It represents a kingdom that is not of this world, but of heaven. That's the motive for me in key, is so key in keeping the greatest commandment. And as we're talking about loving God and we're talking about neighboring, I wanna be real clear that there's no other, there's no other motive other than just loving God and loving our neighbor, being obedient to what he has called us to do. This isn't like, man, I need another evangelism strategy or how do I, um, how do I you know, convert my neighbors? And do we want those that are far from God to come and know God? Absolutely. But if we love with an, alternate, with an, an ulterior motive, with an agenda of conversion, and then if they refuse, if they refuse the light that we're shining, then we're like, man, I knew I shouldn't have loved them to begin with. I knew I shouldn't have shown them Christ in my life. Then, then we had some other agenda other than simply being obedient to Christ's command to love. We love because God has first loved us. That is our motivation. And we will believe and we will hold on to his promises that as we share his light in a genuine and authentic way, that they will hopefully have a heart that is of good soil and will respond to those good seeds and that it will grow into life, into fruit for them but we don't stop loving just because maybe they reject us or our message. We continue to love no matter what. We continue to love because he is love, period. And our motive is key. How many of you, you've ever heard the, the doorbell ring and before we had you know, all the ways to be able to spy on who it was, you're like, oh man, somebody's gonna sell us something. And we had this happen, um, during, I think during the month of April when we were still like quarantine, church was home and I had set up a pool for the kids and this guy tried to come and sell us a security system. I am in the pool with my kids and he would not leave for like 45 minutes. How many, how many of you have ever been annoyed by the people trying to sell you stuff? And, and even we had folks that we didn't know, didn't have relationship with come and try to tell us about their beliefs. You know, we've done that before. And it's never been very fruitful. I've never seen like a whole lot come out of it. I'm not gonna convince them what I believe and they're probably not gonna convince me what I believe. And um, we, had, we had the local Jehovah's Witness Hall uh, handwrite letters to us, addressed to us as individuals. I think they were addressed to you, to Candy. Um, and it was, just, it was just felt so weird. It was like they knew us, but we had never met them, you know? And, and so much of what is, I think, going to be fruitful today more than ever is relationships that we have. Is the relationship that Jesus would even be willing to hand select 12 men, knowing that one of them is going to betray him, but he didn't hold back in what he invested into each one of them. Knowing that one of them wasn't gonna get it and he was gonna even hand him over to the authorities, but it didn't cause him to say, you know what? I know you're going to turn on me anyways, so why, why bother? It didn't keep him from investing, from including, from inviting. And, you know, this week I had a, 
I had a gentleman contact me. His wife just started a nonprofit um, for, of a women's ministry, and he had reached out to me because they wanted to bless some families uh, in our center city. And he said, hey, do you guys have any families that you know of that we could really come alongside and bless? And, and I had to call him back because I'll be honest, um, one of the very first questions that, we were, that my dad was asked, he tells the story time after time, was this of when they were going to start this African-American lady who was the head of the Tenants Council over KCDC at the time, Janice Muncie. She lived in Lonsdale, sweet, sweet, dear, dear believer. And she said, well, Mr. Mr. Clark, I just got two questions for you. I love what you guys want to do and come and, and love on the kids and the families in our neighborhoods, but I just got two questions before we, before we go any further. And he said, we have a lot of churches that come and pick up our kids and take them off to church and they'll come back and they're like, man, I don't ever want to go back there. They'll tell their mamas or their aunties and it'll get to me. He said, they made me stand in the corner and they, they said, I, you know, I was being disruptive. And she said, what will you do when the kids who haven't maybe gone to church before or grown up in it, what will you do when they begin to act out? And my dad's like, man, if we don't answer this question, right, we'll probably not even go into question two. And he said, well, he said, my experience is that when kids are looking for attention, it's just a matter of what kind of attention you're going to give them. And we're going to have volunteers. Now, mind you, we've not even like started, like we've not talked to the first family, the first kid. He said, we're going to have volunteers there. He's speaking prophetically with their arms wrapped around him and saying, hey, just stay engaged. We're almost, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're about to wrap up. Or He says, it's just a matter of what kind of attention we give them and how we keep them positively focused. She's like, okay, I, I like that. She said, my second question and this is what it relates to us today. She said, we're really tired of being experimented on. We're tired of being targeted, a project. She said, we have a lot of churches that come into our neighborhoods and they'll try something and it doesn't go the way they want it and so they quit. Will you do that too? And it was a flooring question that needed to be asked. And what an indictment though on our love that we've done it on our terms and in our way. And we knew that right then and there, God was asking us, asking my family, as they were starting, I was still just a kid, that if this was going to happen, it had to represent God in every attribute of who he is, including faithfulness. That when things didn't go the way we wanted, when the, when the, you know, the road got tough, which it did, and it does, and it will, that you don't quit that we continue to love God and to love our neighbor just as he has called us to and to represent him well in his faithfulness and who he is. And so as I was taking this call this week, I felt like, man, I've got a lot to, that I need to try to share with this, this organization that wants to help our families because I want them to know we do this in relationship. How many of you like to be a project for someone? Not me. Nobody wants to feel that way. And so we said, hey, we try to maintain dignity in all of our relational transactions with our families. We don't just show up and hand out stuff. If they've not disclosed to us that they need help, that they want help, we try to walk in relationship with them and find out about those felt needs. I said, so it's going to take me just to give me a couple of days. Let me, let me talk to all our visitation teams that have relationships with the families that know what's going on, that's got the thumb on the pulse of, of each one of them. I said, I know we have some, but we don't just knock on doors and hand them out at random because to, to us, 
It is about a relationship, and the relationship is more valuable than the, than the goods we're delivering. And so we, we had, he was like, man, we're all on board. That, that, yeah, that echoes what we're, we believe in. But so many times, even in loving our neighbor, just the idea of loving our neighbor becomes a project. Our neighbor becomes the target. And so we have to allow the Lord to just sift that through our hearts of how do we love the people we work with well, though? How do we not just say, well, if I, man, I don't, want to, I don't want them to feel that way. And so we just don't do it. We let our light shine. We do our good deeds and bless people. Look for ways, excuses to love and to bless people that are around us, including those that live closest to us. As I was reading and studying this week, this jumped out to me, and I think it's on the screen. It's going to say, to let one's light shine, I love this quote, is to live in such a way as to manifest the presence of the kingdom. Think about that. To let one's light shine is to live in such a way as to manifest the presence of the kingdom. You remember last week when I was talking about how you probably have a neighbor that someone's been praying for and saying, Lord, would you just put someone in their path? How many of you prayed that prayer from someone do you love? I have. God, would you just put someone in their life? Would you, would you let someone begin to have a, a, an opportunity to speak into them some things right now that I don't feel like I can? God, would you? And, and then they find out maybe you're their neighbor. And they're like, man, they're, they're believers and maybe even uh, in ministry and, and love God. And, and they're like, maybe this is the answer. What if the answer here in this statement to let one's light shine is to live in such a way as to manifest the presence of the kingdom? What if our lives end up being the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus would say this. This isn't in my notes, but I, I just sense it in my heart. The, the Lord would say this. He said, I came to do the will of him who sent me. We are here as, as little Christ, as Christians, to live out the purpose and the will of the Father. Amen? And we are here to even pray that prayer, but then be the answer to that prayer. That we would bring a kingdom not of our own, but the kingdom of God, that they would see it by the lives that we live. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young it doesn't matter if, if you're drawn so secure. It doesn't matter, right? The age discrimination here. I never saw it in the scripture that Jesus said, eh, actually let the little children get the, get the smaller version of the kingdom over here. And we'll talk about when they're ready. But no, let them come because teenagers, you have now the ability to express the kingdom to your generation in a way that I won't. If you're in your 20-somethings, if you're in your 30-somethings, your 40-somethings, you have a voice even to the ones that you live next door to that I don't. And we can be the answer to that prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Right where you work. As you're cutting hair. As you're showing them things on the shelves. I won't say too much about where that is. <laughs> Wherever we are, right? Wherever we are, transactions at ORNL, right? That we would build relationships and it would become in that continuity that they see our lives and, and wonder, man, what's different about them? And that's what I want us to be able to put off today. And that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to get a little awkward from here. Not because I'm going to say anything political or weird, but I'm going to talk about how you guys smell. 
Yep, we're going there. And so the kingdom, for me, the great commandment is about serving others, our neighbors, through loving works. The great commission is about making disciples through the gospel. You guys know the great commission, right? All authority, Jesus would say in Matthew 28, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, he says that literally the, it is a present active participle. It's just going, while going. The assumption is that you are going and while you're going, you're gonna do these things. The command was never to go. The assumption was that you would be going naturally in your life. While going, while doing what you do, the command is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And these are the two greatest commandments that he taught us. What better way for us to teach them than to live them first? And then Mark re-echoes that in a passage. But the great commandment, here's what it does for me. It puts into words, I love you. The great commandment says, I love God and I love you. The great commission says, let me tell you about God's love for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the great commandment says, I love you. The great commission says, let me tell you about the love of God for you. The great commandment consists of good deeds that we do for our neighbor. The great commission consists of a good message about what God did for the world. And both of these need to be shared, but it starts with us by loving our neighbors. The great commission will be hindered when the great commandment though is disregarded. Who wants to listen to the message you have to share about a man you're choosing to follow if, if you're just a jerk, let's be honest. <laughs> if your tip is lousy, don't pray with your waitress, right? If you're planning on leaving 55 cents at O'Charlie's, <laughs> don't pray with them and tell them, tell them you go to a different church, okay? <laughs> don't, don't tell them a manual. Let's talk about the life we live and how we love, but they were a terrible waitress. Well, that's beside the point at this time. <laughs> What if we, and I'm challenging myself on how we exhibit the love of Christ in everything we do and say. How do we do that? Charles Spurgeon said this, and it's a long quote, Branson. I think I have it. It's probably a couple slides. I really love what Charles Spurgeon says. I'm going to read this. He says, love and self-denial for the object love go hand in hand. If I profess to love a certain person and yet will never give my silver nor my gold to relieve his wants, nor in any way deny myself comfort or ease for his sake, such love is contemptible. It wears the name, but lacks the reality of love. True love must be measured by the degree to which the person loving will be willing to subject himself to crosses and losses, to suffering and self-denials. After all, the value of a thing in the market is what a man will give for it. And you must estimate the value of a man's love by that which he is willing to give up for it. So that even in the love of our neighbor, it's gonna, it's gonna cost a sacrifice of our time, our resources even, our energy, our, the, the inconvenience of, I didn't have that in my schedule right then. It will cost us something to love so now here's where I want to get. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to spend a few minutes here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 17. I want to talk about how you guys smell. Some of y'all smell good. Probably my kids, I'm not so sure. 
I'm not talking about my older ones. <laughs> Ellie's making faces at me. <laughs> Although, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, we're going to read this together. Happy Father's Day. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. This is such a weird language. I'm going to explain a little bit. And uses us to spread the aroma, the smell of the knowledge of him everywhere. I'll finish reading. We'll come back. Verse 15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from him. And so verse 14, what is he talking about? What is Paul talking about? He leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on this because there's a lot of allegory here that we could really dive deep into, but I want to give you just kind of a highlight of what, it, what he's talking about. So Paul is likening the, irre, the irresistible advance of the gospel in spite of some temporary frustrations that the church in Corinth is experiencing. And he's, he's, he's putting it in the language of what they would understand in the Roman culture um, as triumph, triumphus. So literally, a victorious general would march through the city streets with proud soldiers and lead in triumphal procession all the prisoners of war, right? Exposing them to public ridicule. Typically, that's what it would mean. So a, a, Roman, a Roman general would do this and, and would march through with his proud soldiers. And I don't want to put too much stress on the allegory that Paul is using here, because I think we could really get into some weird thoughts on what he's trying to say. But the metaphor, it is certainly suggesting that Christ undertook a battle that was not his. Let's, let's all listen together. Hello. Somebody loves you. Somebody's calling you. Wish you a happy Father's Day. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. My phone hasn't rung at all. I'm just kidding. My kids don't have phones yet. And it's back there, Facebook Live. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to lead you in a triumphal procession now. We'll watch. She's going to keep calling. She's going to keep calling. <laughs> no shame. You be that dad. <laughs> so what Paul is talking about here with this triumphal procession is that Christ undertook a battle that was not even his. And we get to share in a triumph that's not even ours. Do you hear that? Christ partook in a battle and won victoriously in one that was not even his. It was our battle to fight, but it is the Lord who fights our battles. Amen. And so we get the spoils of his victory in salvation and all the overwhelming ramifications it has in our heart and our spirit and our soul. The freedom that it brings that now we get to, and maybe, maybe we're part of those prisoners of war, so to speak, that he is leading us in triumphal procession. Maybe we're also the proud soldiers, however you want to look at this allegory, but he has won a victory that was for us. 
and we get to experience something because of this victory and we are marching behind him. Whether it looks like change because we are slaves to Christ as his servants, bond servants of the Lord, we are gladly a part of this parade. We are gladly. And he says now in verse 15, but, but you are the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are to God the pleasing aroma of God. And so the first thing I really want to highlight in this is that God uses us to spread the knowledge of salvation to the whole world. And how does he do it? By smelling like Jesus. So what do you smell like today? When you're checking out at Walmart, which soon it's not going to matter, it's going to be all self-checkout, I hear. Are you going to smell like Jesus though? When you're getting the oil changed or you're at work or you're interacting with your family, what do they smell when you go by? And I'm not talking about your Axe body spray or your shampoo you used that morning. I'm talking about the aroma of Christ on your life. God will use us to spread the knowledge of his good news to the world by smelling like Jesus, by smelling like Jesus. We're going to talk about how you smell today, and this is going to seem weird, and we're probably going to talk about it for a little while, and you're like, man, I think, I think he's done, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more. <laughs> so scientists have discovered of the five senses, the one that is most connected to memory is what? Is smell. Is smell. So after all is said and done, after you have forgotten what it tasted like, looked like, felt like, what remains with you is the smell that it was associated with. Entire systems of psychotherapy will even use certain smells to draw out suppressed memories. They realize that this has such a powerful force in our lives, the way that God has designed us. So it's, it's no accident that this is the language that Paul would use here about the aroma of Christ being on our lives. You know, for me, I, I think of some examples. I don't know how many kids we've had now, but when I smell a wipe, I associate it with something completely different than the wipe itself. Like to me, there's been so many diapers through our house with our own kids, with other kids, with a bunch of kids that I don't know what you think of when you think of, you're like, I use wipes to, you know, wipe down my car all the time and keep my, keep the dust off the dashboard or whatever. That's not what I think of. I'm sorry. When I smell a cigar, it's interesting. I'm taken back to as a kid, my dad mowing the yard. He didn't even light it. He just had it in his mouth and I could still smell it though. He didn't smoke it. I don't even know why he did it. He doesn't do it anymore, but it's a weird childhood memory that I have that I associate it with that cigar in his mouth. He's going to mow the yard. That's what he did. It set back up there with its soggy little end and waited to the next time. <laughs> Dad, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. When I smell a certain lotion from Victoria's Secret called Love Spell, I think of my dating days with my wife. She doesn't wear it anymore, but this is, this is freakishly strange that I will smell someone else wearing it. And I'm like, that's love spell. I can't tell anybody I know what it is though, because <laughs> that's really weird. <laughs> Does this guy go into Victoria's Secret and smell all the lotions? <laughs> no, but I, I knew what it was like to smell my hand after I had held hers. And I knew the aroma during those dating years like never before because I was infatuated. I was in love. So I know that aroma, I know that smell. Now we smell like wipes. 
There's, there's positive and negatives of things that we smell. You smell alcohol in someone's breath and it takes you back to a, maybe a memory in your childhood that you wish you didn't have. There's, there's things that we smell in this world that you're like, oh man, that takes me back to a bus ride that I, again, don't want to think about or, or whatever it may be because scents really can last a lifetime and they can also make a lifetime impact. And so Paul uses this language of how you, and I are going to have an aroma in this world. Is it going to be the aroma of Christ? Because that's what he has destined for us to put off into this world, that they would smell Jesus. And so the second thing I really want us to think about is that smell is limited to location, right? The sm smell is all about proximity. If I start to walk by some of you guys, you're gonna smell that today I actually did remember to put on some cologne. We can smell it very easily when my son, right before bed for some reason, puts his squirt of cologne on that we gave him. I don't know why he wears it, George, before bed. That's just his habit now. But it's about location. I don't smell it from here, but as I get close, you're gonna to start to smell my coffee breath potentially, the fact that I need a piece of gum, but you might smell my cologne, the fact that I did take a shower. The smell of Christ upon our lives is also about proximity to people. It is intentional that way. We're not just supposed to be like out there with the smell of Christ as if we've got a bullhorn to talk about the aroma of the Lord in our lives or, you know, Bible thumping or finger wagging or fear monger, whatever it may be. But it is intentional that we would be close to people, that they would pick up on the scent of Jesus in your life and in my life because we are occupying the same space. And that's what he's called us to do. God has called us to occupy space with people, to breathe the same air as other people. Jesus was constantly around other people, constantly. We see that his, his paradigm was he would draw away and he would revive himself through prayer and time with the Lord, with his father, I should say, with the father. And he would I think, have that aroma again as he was with the crowds of people, with his disciples, with those that they considered the tax collectors and the sinners, those that they even said, man, why are you hanging out with these people? Because he understood that the kingdom upon his life was going to be transferred in proximity to others around him. And it's the same for us. The kingdom of God will be transferred in proximity he was with people he hate, that hated and wanted to kill him. And it didn't stop him from being around them. It didn't stop him. They knew what Jesus smelled like. And I'm not just talking about the carpenter's son. They knew what his life exuded. And it was about his proximity. And so God is saying to us, hey, guess what? You're going to be called to be close to some people, to just live your life around them, to let your good deeds be seen, right? So that they may what? Glorify our Father, that they may grasp and understand what this Jesus is really like. That's the thing about smells. Guess what? You don't get to choose which smells you take with you when you leave your house. You're like, I don't really want to take that smell with me. I don't want to take this one. If you smell a little funky, especially where my teen's at, the Axe body spray isn't going to change that. Now you just smell funky with Axe body spray, right? Do you guys, those that have raised boys, I need some amens right now. <laughs> the Lawsons. Sorry, Elijah. He's shaking his head. 
But you know what I'm talking about. After I eat onions, and I'm supposed to have lunch this week with a, a church planter, and, and he wants to have tacos, and my wife's going to know that I've had tacos with him because my mouth will smell like onions. You can't help but smell like what you've been around. When you go out to eat, you tell me, what do you, what do you smell? You smell like what you've been around. And the smell of Jesus on us isn't something we have to make a big strategy. This isn't like going to be a big plan that we have, and we, but it's going to come as the intentional result of simply going and spending time with him sitting at his feet, as we sing today. And we, when we get in his presence and spend time in his word, worshiping and focusing our senses on him, we can't help but get the residue of Jesus, the aroma of Christ on us. And it will affect everyone we come in contact with. It, this is the hope of the world. <laughs> and if we take this seriously, it will be a screaming call for authenticity and sincerity. What do I mean by that? I want to I want to talk about this. You can't adjust how you smell. So you can't fake smelling like Jesus. Maybe other people that are religious, you turn on the switch and you're like, "Oh, they'll write my religious language now. I'll turn that on." The smell of Jesus will come through your life because you are genuinely in love with him. You won't be able to help but smell like him. It won't be it, it'll be love that is with out hypocrisy that is sincere. That's what he is calling us to. That Philadelphia love that is without hypocrisy for our brothers and then also to entertain the strangers, that we would love our neighbor and make him known through the aroma of Christ. It has to be real though. It has to be genuine. It has to be authentic. They don't make a body spray that smells like Jesus. You can't just spray it on. You can't pretend. You can't fake it. It is just going to be your aroma. It will go with you. We have to be legitimate. And so my final point that I want to talk about is smell like Jesus and share spaces with people. That's it. So what are two of the greatest ways that I get the sin of Jesus on me? By coming here. This is one of them. By worshiping the Lord and getting in his presence. By being around people. When I come in this place, I can, sin, I can tell a difference. I can kind of even tell how everyone's week's been by, by worship, by the aroma, by the expectancy of your prey, by the, by the connection you already came in here with or the disconnection, right? It, it impacts the presence of the Lord that we begin to feel in the scent of his kingdom in this place. But when I walk out of here, it's going to be on me. And it's working in my heart. It's working in my soul. It's bringing some freedom. It's, it's realigning some things that were off. The scent of Jesus, the kingdom's presence, as we collectively come together is a big part of that. But the next step that I want to make sure that we don't miss is that we are at home spending time with Jesus day after day. That we're sitting at his feet, that we're getting his aroma on us, that we're in his word now more than ever. That we're worshiping him and connecting with him and the sense of Jesus begins to get on us. And I used to work at Starbucks when I was working on my master's. And uh, I don't know how my wife allowed me to like work a couple of days a week at a coffee shop that I made next to nothing while I was working through school. But when I came home, I didn't have to tell you where I had been. Like, yeah, I didn't need my apron on anymore. You could tell I had been working at a coffee shop. There is, you can go in Starbucks for a few minutes and you will quickly smell like it. Sometimes I don't like it, sometimes I do. 
But that's the same thing. When you go into Subway, how many of you go into Subway? You know the smell. You're like, yep, smell like Subway. Man, went to Wasab. Yep, smells like sushi. Smells like, you know, you can't help but smell like the places where you have been. And when we have been in God's presence, we don't have to work it up. We will not be able to help but have the aroma of Christ on our lives. We don't have to puff it up. We don't have to turn it up. We don't have to put on the show. It is because of the genuine nature of our relationship with him that he will exude through the pores of our life. The aroma of Christ that we put off will be natural. And smells can be weak and smells can be strong. And it will, deter, it will be determined upon the level of kingdom nature, of kingdom presence, of kingdom people that we are keeping ourselves around. And as we begin to grow and continue to grow spiritually, it will be because we have filled our minds with kingdom thoughts, that we have filled them with scriptures and words and people and worship to where our lives will put off a greater smell and aroma. My wife, I can't take her into Bed Bath & Beyond without probably getting a headache unless she mouth breathes through the whole store. Shit is just too strong. Bed Bath, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, body, uh, Bath and Body Works is another one of those. She's like, man, it's, it's going to kill me. Her allergies are immediately reacting because it is so strong. And they, they do that on purpose. What about us? If we put off a strong sin of Jesus, they don't have to wonder where they've been or who they've been around. But they can identify the light of our deeds that point to our Father in heaven and give him glory. Amen. Amen. And when we come together, I want us to put our sense together and let, when we leave this place, let's, let's exude Jesus. Let, let people know that I have been with him because I smell like him now. And let that be the aroma that other people smell. But thanks be to God, Paul says, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? You can read this one of two ways. No one or look what God has allowed us to participate in. He has given this to us, not as peddlers, as he talks about, not as ones artificially or with, or with wrong motives, but because of the Lord, his love for us, we love because he first loved us. Who is equal to such a task? And I would say we all are called to put off the aroma of Christ. Amen. At this time, is David still back there? I want us to participate in communion. Jared, would you grab the box of communion? It's in one of the chairs out of the office. We're going to pass these out. And I want us to spend a few moments just reflecting on the gift that God gave us as a father in heaven, that he would sacrifice his son. And we reflect on this intentionally on Father's Day, that we think about what a great love, what an overwhelming love that he would love us that much. And that as we are in his presence, we get to put off that same aroma, that same love, exude it to the people around us this week, to those that we go and have lunch with today, to those that we'll see tomorrow at work, if that's your schedule. But the point for today is if you want to be a good neighbor, if you want to see folks drawn to Christ, this, the center of being a good neighbor, to loving and keeping that command of just loving God and loving others, 
pointing them to the Father that they may glorify Him. You don't have to cook elaborate meals. You don't have to host expensive parties. You don't have to have the largest house. You don't have to have spotless floors. You don't have to preach elaborate sermons. You don't have to be able to quote chapter and verse. You don't have to have overwhelming wisdom. You just have to smell like Jesus and be willing to be with people. It's as simple as that. So I want to challenge us today that life-changing life happens when we have the life of Christ imparted into us and we impart our lives into others. It's the incarnational model that he left us, that we would put on skin, that we would enter a world not our own, that they may see something that is not of this earth, but it's truly of heaven. And so as they're coming forward, um, if you want to participate, just, just kind of make sure that you get one of these. They're going to pass these out row by row. Jazz, if you don't mind putting on, um, oh, come to the altar. As we worship, I know Bruce had to go to a double shift and play, and I think BJ's chasing kids. Thank you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Jesus. And today, this is an opportunity as well for those that are saying, you know, Michael, I need to have a restoration in my relationship with God. The aroma right now in my life, I feel the funk. And if that's where you're at, today is an opportunity in a moment to say, on Father's Day, I'm coming back to my Father in heaven. I want a restoration of the relationship I have with Him. Whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time or the thousandth time, He welcomes us with open arms. As the prodigal son, He runs to meet us with arms wide open. And so today, if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads for just a brief moment. Because if that's where you're at right now, if you would say, Michael, I just, I need a fresh start first before I partake of his goodness. I need to digest it in my own life. I need to repent and, and to have a clean slate and to accept his forgiveness afresh. If today you would say, Michael, I want that fresh start now. Father's Day of 2020. I want to know that my relationship with my Father in heaven is where it's supposed to be. And this is the beginning of my forever with Him. If that is where you're at today, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray with you right now. Anyone? Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. We thank you that you were willing to enter our world to become flesh forever because of your great love for us. You showed us what it's like to put love with skin on. And we ask God that through the power of this remembrance that we reflect on our Father's love for us, but also how we can show the love of the Father to the world. And so today, Lord, we exalt you. We worship you. We praise you. We magnify you. There is no one else like you. As you peel back that first layer, we're gonna partake of the bread that represents the body. And as you're doing that, I'm gonna read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul writes this. Paul says this, he says, on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he said this, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you partake and do this in remembrance of the Lord? Father in heaven, you're a good father. And in the same way, also, Jesus took the cup after that last supper. And he said, this cup, <clears throat> it's the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He said, do this. And as often as you drink it, would you do it in remembrance of me? Let's do this in remembrance of him as we drink and partake of the blood that has forgiven us. as often as you do this, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Lord, we just thank you. We just thank you right now. We thank you that you would be a willing sacrifice as that perfect lamb of God so that each one of us could have a right relationship with our father in heaven, could have a restoration of our relationships. And Lord, as we partake of this, we know that it brings healing to our physical bodies your salvation touches us holistically. It brings freedom to our souls and our torment of our mind. Lord, we enter in to the full covenant promises that you have for us through your sacrifice. We thank you, God, that as we partake of who you are day after day, that this will be the aroma that we exude to the world around us, the aroma of Christ that a father in heaven that is good, that is perfect, that is holy, that is faithful, that he loves us and he is for us, that he fights our battles and he leads us in triumph. We thank you, God, for your sacrifice that brings triumph and victory in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can keep that music playing, Jazz. I'm gonna stay up front and pray with anyone that just wants a special prayer. I'm gonna stay up here for a few minutes. We're so glad, just hang out, spend some time with each other, hug some necks if you're comfortable. And we can't wait to be back together again next week. Jesus, a name above